station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, movie dispatcher, <laughs> Melissa Kersher. Hello. And we have our amateur movie watcher with us today. Uh, he is Salsa <laughs> Sterling. Hey, that's me. And uh, we are here this afternoon, well, this evening, to watch Taxi Driver. Now, of course, the reason we brought Salsa onto this fabulous podcast is because he has never seen Taxi Driver. And uh, what we need to do right now, Salsa, before we go any further, is have you tell us what you know about Taxi Driver. Very little. Um, I know it's got De Niro in it, and I know he does that that famous, um, you know, are you talking to me line in there. Jay. You know, we're the only one here. <laughs> and uh, he does, uh, he like goes on a date with this woman and takes her to a porn movie. And okay. that's all awkward. <laughs> And uh, there's, like, he's a weird conspiracy theory nut or something like that. And that's about, that's about it. Well, I mean, I gotta give you a lot of credit. You know a lot <laughs> more about this movie than most people on this podcast know about the movie <laughs> yeah. that we're watching. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, pretty pretty well done as far as, uh, definitely De Niro. We can confirm it's De Niro. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, being, as this is a Scorsese film, that should not come as too much of a surprise. Well, as, especially... Uh, an early Scorsese yes. film. This is mm -hmm. a 70s Scorsese film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, Scorsese kind of, uh, you know, in more modern films, he sort of transitioned to Leonardo DiCaprio. But <laughs> but uh, this the, certainly uh, De Niro is one of uh, Scorsese's, what do we want to say, faves? Yes, his, yes. His stables. Yeah, he, he worked with De Niro a lot in yeah. his early mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he's not as bad as Burton. That yeah. guy goes to the well... Oh, well. Yeah, Burton, no, Burton basically casts the same actors in every movie and just, yeah. you know, puts them in black and white stripes and <laughs> gives it a different name and calls up Danny Elfman and the whole thing is, you know, yep. pretty much ready to go. But, uh, but, but you know, it, it pretty much works in Scorsese's favor whenever he casts De Niro because it's just kind of this magic combination. They work yeah. together just mm -hmm. very, very well. So uh, in uh, the seventies, the seventies, early eighties are, I I think probably for Scorsese and De Niro, the 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 pinnacle of what they were doing together. I mean, obviously yeah. there are other good films. We did Goodfellas on this podcast about two years ago. Yes, uh, another collaboration, and that's in the nineties. But uh, still, this is right in the middle of their kind of like sweet spot. Taxi drivers here. Raging Bull's going to come out, out a few years later. And uh, Mean Streets. Mean Streets was before this one. Yes. So, um, really, this is the, the time period which establishes both De Niro, and we'll talk a little bit about how he gets established before this film. Mm -hmm. uh, both De Niro and Scorsese get established here as uh, you know, yeah. Scorsese as maybe the finest American director of his generation, mm -hmm. uh, although certainly there's some debate because you can throw Altman in there and maybe Spielberg, even though they're making completely different kind of movies, all three of them. There were there were some amazing uh, directors who came out of the 70s. But uh, anyway, so uh, we don't really want to get into too much spoiler territory. The other thing to keep an eye out for here, uh, the linking actor, since we just watched Silence of the Lambs, mm -hmm. uh, we are linking to this movie from Jodie Foster, mm -hmm. which uh, is going to be an interesting... <laughs> Yes, an interesting, interesting thing. shift mm -hmm. from Silence of the Lambs to the character that Jodie Foster plays in this film. Yep. Um, 
What else should we share before we get started, Melissa? Oh, um, I don't know. Um, uh, the only thing I was going to add is that, um, whereas Mean Streets, which came out before this, as he said, um, pretty much put De Niro and Scorsese on the map of, you know, major filmmaker and major star, uh, this really cemented it. The Taxi Driver was the first big, amazing amazing movie out of these two mm-hmm. and uh and then you know the one two punch of so to speak of this and raging bull yes yeah. and then uh, when yeah. when was the godfather series uh the godfather series is right about now yeah okay right about now yeah and so, that's coppola yeah mm-hmm. that's coppola right but it was yep. but, i mean de niro was was part of that too yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is Definitely. absolutely true we'll get into that a little bit more okay after we watch the movie as well it's, uh, it's an East Coast, West Coast thing. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I think what we need to do, we need to go watch the film. You, dear listeners, should also go watch the film, unless you've already seen it, like me and Melissa. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't, then you're like Salsa. So mm-hmm. there's somebody here for you. I'm, I'm sure if you've seen it and you enjoy it, feel free to watch it again. Or yes. just watch the scene of Robert De Niro saying, are you talking to me? Or... Or act it out in front of the mirror. Or the parody of Robert De Niro doing that scene, which has appeared more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. And you could probably go down a YouTube rabbit hole for about 12 hours <laughs> to see every uh, parody of that scene. But we're going to watch the real thing. Maybe you should, too. We'll be back in just a few magical moments. Did you really just... Okay. We are back. Taxis have been driven. Saxophones have been played. Twelve-year-olds have been sexualized. <laughs> it's Taxi Driver. Twelve and a half-year-olds. She was twelve and a half. half. You're right. Mm. So that makes it somehow okay. No, <laughs> no, no, it really doesn't. It doesn't make it okay. But if we're going to be precise, we're going to be precise. All right. So salsa. Your I... first time watching Taxi Driver. That means that you're, it is your responsibility right now to tell us what you thought of the film. Uh, I thought it was nothing like the TV show that was spun off from it um, <laughs> at all. Um, but I can. But Andy Kaufman's character makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Um, no, I seriously, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I, I feel like that's one of those movies you have to process. Um, There's a lot to unpack yeah. in Taxi Driver. Lots yeah. to I, I typically don't go for this kind of movie in general just because it is, it's it's so artsy and... and, and Meaty and dark. And exactly. You know, I, I tend to personally, I, I tend to go for movies that are a lot more either comedies or just kind of fun action. Um, I, I don't tend to usually want it, want something that's so so cerebral. Um, but, uh, boy, I, <laughs> I don't know. I really, I have to think about it a little bit because it is just... Uh, that guy's messed up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, I was wrong on the conspiracy theory part. He's not, he's not a conspiracy theorist. He's just fucked up. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, like, yeah. he could easily go into conspiracy Very much so. and, theory and, land. And there's, like, um, a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram, I feel like. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think him him projecting a lot of you know, a lot of his problems and insecurities onto the senator that he then was going to kill because of it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of was toying with conspiracy theory land, but but didn't quite uh, 
take the final plunge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is a guy who is not willing to, to. I don't know. Face his own issues. Exactly. Or, yeah. It yeah, was. Yeah. So here, here's an interesting thing about the movie, and I, you know, absolutely got some some mental health problems. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. A little bit. Little oh, bit a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. An interesting thing about the movie, and there is, according to the writer and director of the film, a correct answer. But there are a lot of people who who uh, who believe that the everything that happens after the shootout mm-hmm. is essentially Travis's fantasy as he's dying. That mm-hmm. he does that that he oh, he gets he gets a happy ending as uh, as he's dying, and mm-hmm. and and uh, it's actually. Interestingly enough, a theory we've discussed with the ending of Birdman. Yes. Um, but uh, so th- th- there's a lot of people out there that theorize that. Now Scorsese uh, absolutely and, refutes that. Yeah, and Paul Schrader oh. as well. The Paul Schrader, the the, uh, the yeah. writer. Um, the script was very much based on his own experience because uh, he went through a period of his life where he was like rejected by his girlfriend mm-hmm. and you know lost his job. I can't remember if he was a war vet or not, but it was pretty much he he got this obsession with guns. He became just very isolated from people yeah. and got very very strange, and uh, was like driving around as a chicken fried chicken delivery driver, which I feel should still be a thing. <laughs> but aside from that, uh, Schrader went through this period of his life and then uh, you know got better, but wrote the script in ten days and two drafts. And as he was writing it, he kept a loaded gun on the desk as a inspiration to keep going. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was this very heavy script, and it was uh, heavily shopped around and, uh, and in Hollywood. And Scorsese was not the first director approached to do it. Apparently, that was Brian De Palma, but there were various stories, and I don't know mm-hmm. which one's right, about why De Palma did not ultimately wind up doing this film. But eventually it went to Scorsese, who had just done Mean Streets and had just done a film with Ellen Burstyn called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which inspired the TV show Alice. And, ah! <laughs> so, um, early to bed, early to rise. And, and so this, this project landed in Scorsese's hands, and he had just done Mean Streets with De Niro, and De Niro... De Niro and, and Harvey Keitel. And Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Which, by the way... yeah. Harvey Keitel with long hair. Harvey, Harvey that's Keitel. exactly Harvey Keitel with long hair. It was like the every scene he was in. I'm sure he was great, but I couldn't stop. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like oh my god, Looking Harvey at the hair <laughs> and and the the ripped muscles and everything. The Harvey, the, yeah, I didn't uh, notice because I was looking at the hair. <laughs> yes, a ripped mulleted Harvey Keitel. The hair yeah, was, was the, the hair was disturbing me so much I couldn't <laughs> just I couldn't think about anything else. And young, I mean, the, the, yeah. De, De Niro and Keitel were both young at like one point. Like the only time I could not think about his hair was when they were lovingly had the camera on his on his coke nail. Yeah. That was the only time I wasn't thinking about his hair. And and uh, and on top of his hair was the douchiest of fedoras. <laughs> which like as it, as the years go on it like gets creepier and creepier yeah. looking. <laughs> it I, really does. I do want to go back to to what you were saying about the ending though about uh you know him that being his fantasy of dying but but it absolutely isn't. I I kind while I think that's a clever interpretation, I think this ending is way more sinister. Oh goodness, yes. Because he, you know, if if he was dying, he'd be dead, and we'd be done, and and nothing else could ever happen again. But now he's 
just waiting to snap again. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, th- and, and that, that was the intent. Actually, way more. That is way, actually way exactly more. what what uh, they the trader yeah. And, yeah. and Scorsese say is like, yeah. there is there Especially, is another psychotic break yeah. that just, will be coming. And, and you can and, already see it getting started to set up because because Blondie is yeah. coming back. Like, hey, you apparently aren't the bad guy because I read about you, and and that's just gonna. Lead. It's just going to start gonna, the whole process again. It's going to end badly. And uh, as I think, I, uh, uh, Scorsese and uh, Schrader did a commentary track on one of the DVD editions of this film, where they went into a long discussion about that whole fan theory thing. And they go, "Yeah, our intent was like you could almost splice the end of this film with the beginning of this film, and Absolutely. it's just an arboreus. It just keeps going. Yeah. It, it's just a cycle. And the next time it happens, he's not going to be a hero." So, because it, it, he wasn't it was really keeping... a hero this time. Yeah, he wasn't. But, but to the people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Next time it will be Palpatine. Next time it will be Palpatine that he shoots. And, it looks yeah. like he's defending a twelve-year-old girl, but really <laughs> he's just. Yeah, he's he's feeding in his, into his own hero fantasies. Hero, yeah, he he has this need to feel connection, but he doesn't want to actually be connected to people. Like he's simultaneously shoving them away because. <laughs> He feels he's better than them, but he desperately needs that connection, and it's just this, that space well, is and, toxic. And but it 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 was very much a taking thing. It was because he had no interest in anything, right? Like he, I don't, I had no interest in music, no interest in movies, no interest in anything. Yeah, well, and, he didn't even. So he was, goes to pornos, and you don't even feel like he has interest in the sex. Yeah, no, yeah, he, he has zero, and he has this. Um, actual revulsion to it, like when he's seeing prostitutes on the street, or sex is like aw- mm-hmm. it offered to him. He has nothing. It, it's like he's putting on a mask to seem human to other people. The only time he and and the only time he seems to have any reaction at all was when drugs came up, because then it was a very very strong negative. Right. Like right. like everything else. Like the 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 the. Prostitution and everything else going on around him was just like just absolute apathy. Mm-hmm. But drugs seem to set him off. Mm-hmm. Well, Some apathy, fierce. but then then he's writing in his journals, and in his journals he's not apathetic about it at all. Yeah, he, and he's creepy and and obsessive and yeah. Uh, um, but but clearly it, ready but to there's snap. Not, but there's not as much of a visceral reaction to yeah. it because whenever drugs come up, it was a very like vocal outburst. Everything else he he simmered on but drugs it was an explosion every time that mm. came up mm-hmm. so i don't know i feel like there's some weird backstory there yeah the well it, part of it's probably from uh, schrader's own brain because this is very Absolutely. close to him, and him. I, and I'm, I'm guessing it had something to do with his time in the marines this was mm-hmm. you know during some weird shit going on in the world you know, he had those scars on his back that we saw, so, you know, who knows what that was all about. Yeah, there's there's some real depth to that character. It, the real mastery of this movie is it's it really draws you into this horrible world that this person has created for himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you get the understanding of it, but you get zero sense that this movie is, you know, lauding it or anything. It's, oh, no, it's God, just like no, you're the... you're being drawn into the 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 narrative of what is ultimately kind of a villain character, but he's the protagonist of the story, mm-hmm. so he's you know, he's and pulling the, way, the plot along. And the way the movie but, was shot in general, I I like yeah. need to take a shower afterwards because everything was just 
oh, dirty. Now well, New the, York well, City was vile. The great, the great, thing, the great thing about that is uh, <laughs> there was a there was a garbage strike yes. going on when they were filming. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So, yeah. so, so it really New played York into was that. extra dirty, and, yeah. it, just, and it just was perfect. Just, every scene just lovingly played across filth and trash and yeah which is why 1970s new york city through like the mid 1980s was just awful which is kind of amazing you know sybil shepherd provides this really remarkable contrast yeah oh my god yeah why he is drawn to her because where the city is dirty and ugly she's Mm -hmm. beautiful and clean Mm -hmm. um and and her her casting in the movie is kind of amazing because at the time she was a uh was it L'Oreal that she was the spokesperson for? She was a professional model. cosmetics. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she had she had started in movies a few years prior because she was in Peter Bogdanovich's uh, last picture show in 1971. Well, so, well, am I remembering incorrectly? Wasn't she also in Woody Allen's Manhattan when she was a teenager? Yeah, I think she was. I think, I think that was Civil right. Shepherd. Anyway, yeah, she was in a couple. So of things she's been in a few this. films. Yeah, and she she was dating Peter Bogdanovich for its time, and oh. so you know she. It was interesting. This this movie when they were casting it, they were talking about getting a quote Sybil Shepherd type for that role, and then somebody said, "Why don't, Why we, don't just we just get, get Sybil so, Shepherd? Because yeah. she's right over here. She's right over here. Maybe <laughs> we have her in this closet." <laughs> so we should talk about uh, De Niro a little bit, yeah, uh, because you know we talked about you were asking about the Godfather, and and this is a really interesting situation where De Niro, like I say, meteoric rise is happening right now for oh, De Niro goodness. because. Yeah. Godfather came out the year before Taxi Driver, um, and De Niro, right before Taxi Driver starts filming, wins his Oscar for Godfather Part Two. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and he's already been contracted to be paid virtually nothing. Yeah. To do Taxi Driver. Oh, God. Yeah, like $35,000. Oh. And, and so once he... Once he uh, got his Oscar, the producers were worried that he was going to come back and ask for more money, but he didn't. Oh, classy guy. Yeah. yeah. Because he'd, he'd already worked with uh, uh, Scorsese on Mean Streets. Right. Because, okay, so so De Niro's career kind of goes, he and Scorsese do Mean Streets, and it, uh, it's kind of this lower budget movie uh, mm-hmm. just yeah. set in New York City, kind of like most things that De Niro and Scorsese do together. Yeah, yeah. New York and, City figures prominently yeah. in it, most things. It's a really nice kind of lead into Taxi Driver, by the way. It's a, it's a good movie. Oh, no, but it and, was, and it, it, that gritty... Yeah, you know, super you know. super grimy sort of thing. But Pauline Kael noticed it, the, the great f- film critic, and she championed it, and so it got this mm. great renown. So he went on from Mean Streets to do Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. wins his Oscar, and does Taxi Driver, and then like a couple years after, he's in The Deer Hunter, which was amazingly popular and an amazing piece of acting I think for everybody involved. One best picture was definitely it, it nominated. was best picture, and yeah. then two years after that, he won an Oscar for Raging Bull. Yeah. So I mean, so between like, in 1973 and 1980, he just became this this Robert acting De Niro became megastar. Robert De Niro. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 And he had, really has been Robert De Niro ever since. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but it's kind of amazing that that he goes ahead and makes this movie, which for De Niro, I mean, there are a lot of iconic roles in his in his career. But the funny thing, I mean, he won the Oscar for. Uh, for Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. but 
Travis which had a huge Bickle, budget and mm-hmm. production value yeah. and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, Travis Bickle is probably the character most people remember him playing. Oh yeah. goodness, yes. Uh, or, and he's also nominated for Travis. He's nominated for an Oscar for Travis Bickle, and he doesn't yeah. win. Uh, Jodie Foster, who's twelve, she's a twelve-year-old playing a twelve-year-old in this yes. film, um, is nominated for Best Supporting Actress, uh, and and obviously we know that her career has has done extremely well. Yes, she did then. okay for herself. She's yeah. done okay for herself. <laughs> just just a bit, just a bit. Yeah, yeah she, uh, she she, well, she started acting at age two. She was a really seasoned actress by this time, because <laughs> because uh, she was she started acting in commercials. She had older uh, older siblings who were all with, already in child actors, so oh, she yeah. kind of followed in their okay. footsteps. Um, her first TV role was in 1968 when she was six, and then she was on like Bonanza, Gunsmoke, and a lot of those westerns. Yeah, yeah, she was picked up by Disney. Um, she was then in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is the movie that Scorsese did with Ellen Burstyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how they met. And so then when Taxi Driver was in production, that's okay. part of the connection that brought her into Taxi Driver. And and after that, she, she did Disney movies. She did Freaky Friday and Candle <laughs> Shoe. And... A uh, um, little bit different tone. The... the oh, God... The uh, wow, uh, life imitating art in a really dark way uh, in 1981. Uh, we're all, I, I believe, we're all old enough to remember this. The, in March 30th, 1981, a gentleman named John Hinckley walked up to President Reagan and shot six times and shot f- five other people and shot the sixth bullet, hit the car, and ricocheted into Reagan and almost killed him. And the reason he did that, because he was obsessed with the movie Taxi Driver and obsessed with Jodie Foster. And he decided to try to... Uh, he basically, basically went Travis Assassinate Stickle. the mm-hmm. president. Yep. And uh, failed, and he's been in psychiatric treatment ever since. And, was, fascinatingly enough, it was just reported as we're recording mm-hmm. this episode yep. just a couple of days ago that he is being released. Did you uh, know that Reagan didn't know he was shot? Apparently the the Secret Service threw him into the car and jumped on top of him. Yeah. And he thought that when the Secret Serviceman had jumped on top of him that he had bruised a rib. Yeah. So he was like, get off me. I think you just bruised a rib. And he was like, no, sir, you've been shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, the, the bullet, like, just stopped just shy of his heart. He was... Yeah. Very close to being done, but but yeah. So and then and then the rest of the eighties happened. But after after that, uh, Jodie Foster. <laughs> Nothing else happened. That was it. But after that, you know, uh, Foster kind of laid low, and uh, you know, she was she went into Yale. She uh, in her fr- <laughs> this happened in her freshman year at Yale. Yeah, I mean, she's still she, a kid. Yeah, she yeah. was still a youngin as she this Hinkley thing happened. But uh, she kind of stayed quiet while she was going to college. She did graduate from Yale in 1985 with a degree in literature. And then um, uh, after that, decided to get her acting back on track. And it took a little bit, but in 1988, she was in a movie called The Accused, which is a phenomenal and really hard movie to watch, uh, yep. where she plays a rape victim. It, it, she play, it, It's a true story. She plays a rape victim who is trying to... Uh, you know, prosecute her case along with the, you know, her lawyer, and the the problem being that she was being, you know, promiscuous, and she wasn't, you know, like a 
a pristinely seen no, yeah. woman, and and so it was a very difficult case to um, draw a conviction from because yeah. uh, of you know viewpoints that are still and because in our and society. The, the movie the movie the accused is actually the character it's referring to her character yeah uh, yeah she's and the accused. her character is the accused because she's essentially put on on trial, on trial yeah. for being raped for being raped and uh, uh but she she does that ever happen because yeah. american you know uh culture is so progressive yeah. in that respect yeah but she got her first oscar from that and then after that she uh did silence of the lambs second oscar you may have heard of it yep <laughs> previous episode, <laughs> and, episode yes. uh, the, then she started directing she directed a few movies including Home for the Holidays which is delightful and <laughs> uh, you know continued from there um, I think it was 2007 that during one of the awards shows she publicly uh, came out as gay she came out as, as homosexual mm. uh, she had been in a relationship with Sydney. Bernard, who was, uh, I believe, a production designer on one of her films for a while, and uh, from 1993 to 2008, they were together. They have two kids. Uh, yeah, that's... So, huge. yeah, I mean, Jodie Foster has yeah. had a long and storied career. Long and storied career, very interesting woman, uh, incredibly smart woman. Super talented. She, she's she been in several movies in France, because she's been fluent in French oh, since really? she was age 14. She, yeah, she's done a ton of movies. So when she made this movie, I'm just pointing out she couldn't even fucking speak French. Yeah, I but mean, a, two years later, she was, <laughs> she was really good. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's like pretty impressive, this 12-year-old who can't speak French <laughs> yep. still manages to be noticed in Taxi Driver. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you I wonder know, how in French you say two years ago I was working with a creepy Harvey Keitel in long hair. <laughs> God. Oh, uh, Keitel's. Oh, boy. Oh. Keitel's he's just so, this wonderful character actor. He's so great in every movie, though. Mm -hmm. No matter what you hand him, he will just swing for the fences with it. Um, a few years after this, well, several years after this, but he was in a movie called Bad Lieutenant. Where it's one of the darkest roles he ever did. Mm. That's just straight down the rabbit hole of madness. But he he did a whole bunch of roles like this in the seventies, and uh, the, he actually started acting in Martin Scorsese's first feature-length film, which is called uh, "Who's That Knocking at My Door?" If I remember right, it was filmed in black and white. It was done super cheap, and this was the, this was the movie where Scorsese first worked with Keitel and with Thelma Schoonmaker, who is still his editor to this day. <laughs> one might imagine she has something to do with his success. Yeah, I believe she's won more Oscars than he has for his films. It's true. Uh, but it's uh, true. So yeah, Scorsese again. Uh, we we watched Goodfellas on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Scorsese is a. a, a Certainly, in the minds of several mm -hmm. well-known critics, the finest filmmaker, American filmmaker of the last thirty to forty years. Yeah, uh, he, you know, he he has a very well, okay. So you're saying that, but let's go head to head with Coppola. Yeah, and and Coppola, uh, Coppola, I think, doesn't have as strong of a batting average as Scorsese. Okay, um, just because he's had his. Probably about as many missteps as he has had mega hits. Also, and, I think. Uh, but I will say that Coppola has. But consistency, you're going with. Cons I'm going with consistency. Well, okay. And in terms of production, I mean, Coppola yeah. hasn't made that many movies. Yeah, it's true. But he uh, does make good wine. 
It's, so yeah, as far as <laughs> he does. as far as wine, Coppola totally wins. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. But uh, as far as as far as filmmaking, okay. uh, Scorsese is yeah. is pro. I mean, and again, and, it kind of depends. It runs runs on your tastes, you know. Yeah. Spielberg has been making great movies that mm-hmm. entire amount of time, but he's been making movies that are more popularly driven yeah. and a lot and less depth and a little bit more fun. Well, I think so there there can be just as much depth in a Spielberg sure. movie, but it, it's but not necessarily you have to unpack it for 24 hours after seeing it in sure. order to actually right. wrap your yeah. head around it. It's I mean, they're very different filmmakers. They yeah. both yeah. were coming up at the same time. Yeah, but uh, I, I, but I said in the pre prequel pre pre Pre- preamble, preamble, preamble—that's yeah. the word. Um, it's kind of a East Coast West Coast thing too, because uh, Scorsese came out of New York. I mean, mm-hmm. he grew up in New York. He and Keitel grew up blocks away from each other in Greenwich Village before being introduced at a party. Oh. But um, uh, there's the whole family of New York City filmmakers. So there's like Scorsese and Woody Allen who came up at the same time, and uh, a little bit later Spike Lee, Oliver Stone. All those guys are New York City guys, and then uh, they all came out of NYU. Scorsese mm-hmm. taught there for a while right after he uh, did his first film. So he actually trained Oliver Stone and Spike Lee. Oh, like, they were both students of his. Uh, on the other side, you've got in California, all the people coming out of the uh, California, California film schools, you've got uh, Coppola, you've got George Lucas, you've got Steven Spielberg, and uh, legendary editor Walter Murch was part of their gang. Um, so they're <laughs> and now I'm imagining this all yeah. as being a West Side Story. Yeah, well, that's totally. kind of what I was picturing too. <laughs> Sharks versus Jets, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think Bogdanovich came came out of New York. Um, also, Scorsese came out of the Rogers Corman School of, uh, of filmmaking <laughs> because he worked on. Uh, Boxcar Bertha, which was one of his very early films with uh, at least one Carradine in it, because it was the 70s. There are a lot of Carradines. There are so many Carradines. But he he did that with uh, uh, Corman as producer. So Corman at the time was also, you know, bringing up James Cameron and uh, John Sayles and uh, Paul Bartel and a a lot of these other filmmakers that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John Landis. Yeah. So golly, we better check and see because yeah. we, uh, uh, Melissa, what do you have left on your on your uh, sheets of well, we information? Can, we can probably go back into talking more about the film itself. What? What, the one movie? Of the, one, yeah, the actual movie rather than just talking um, about the people. I, the, one of the things that keeps striking me whenever I see it is the 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 shot where you first it is first revealed that De Niro has the mohawk. Yeah, and that is. It's an impactful shot because you go, holy shit, De Niro with a mohawk, but it's kind, of, it's kind of this looking back sort of thing, whereas at the time, that was an incredibly shocking shot because um, we hadn't yet gone through the 1980s where punks had mm-hmm. the, you know these glorious mohawk hairdos. It was this a was, very extreme hairstyle. It yeah. was a bizarre thing to see. So I've heard from people who had actually seen Taxi Driver in the movie theaters, and that's like the most shocking thing in the movie, was the shot with the mohawk. And that's always kind of struck me as how that image has... For our mentality, it's like, oh, 
He's oh. got a mohawk. Yeah, it's De Niro with yeah. a mohawk. Well, That's because, because we're mentally going, okay, he's got a weapon there, he's got a weapon there, yeah. he's got a weapon there, and holy shit, what the fuck? Yes, <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Because we're, our, our mind is somewhere completely, we're not watching the movie, we're, we're unpacking, you know, we're th- thinking about something completely different. Right, right, and, right. And so that really but that, grabs that, us and pulls us back into it. That alteration of the hair is really a, a moment where the movie is telling us that there's a pretty major break this character yeah. is going yeah. through. That he is altering his appearance and oh, he's is going, going to, to be altered. Yeah. Because this was uh, mm-hmm. apparently that the reason they did that was because um, uh, men in the Marines during the Vietnam War, some some of them would shave their heads and, and do mohawks before going into battle and, you know, this whole cultural appropriation thing, whatever. Yep. But, um, so that kind of stemmed from this backstory of him as a vet and a very, you know, this guy who came out broken, but it's, it still has some impact today because I feel like it's not, well, it's sometimes kind of charted out as an iconic shot of the movie when somebody picks out an iconic shot of the movie is almost always the mirror scene. So when people go yeah, into this movie, yeah, it's the most well-known one. Yeah. yeah. So when people when people go into this movie cold, there still is the 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 moment waiting for them that they don't know about, which is the Mohawk. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to me, and it's also interesting to me how the the movie has gained different significance as the years go by. You know, first of all with the John Hinckley thing, and also with you know our current environment online of you know you know the kind of this women versus men thing that has just exploded into this weird mm-hmm. toxic environment and the it, it it keeps gaining relevance in many different ways mm-hmm. so that's that's what i see in it when i watch it today yeah i mean continue the, well it's that, that that culture of toxic ma- masculinity and you you have certain people who are locked into this loneliness or you know, whatever is driving them into this kind of isolation, and they keep mm-hmm. themselves insulated to kind of almost maintain that, even though that's the source of their pain as well. An- another way it is... And they don't, it well, they don't know how to... They don't know how to break get out, out of it. They, you know, no matter what they do, they try to, and, and people alienate them more because they fuck up. But, yeah. So. Another way it yeah. feeds into current, uh, current political uh, landscape is the way... The guns are fetishized by the yeah. film, not in a positive way. I mean, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. the when he when he goes into the hotel room and he's going to buy the guns, and the way that camera, like on the three fifty seven Magnum, the camera yes. practically caresses that gun, yeah. and um, and, and you know he's he takes the guns and he t- the ones he picks he sets on the black mm-hmm. uh, velvet, yeah, velvet, and there's the way he is is playing with them and holding them and watching TV and pointing the gun at the TV and constantly pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the debate well, about... In the hol- debate even about, when he's not holding a gun, mm-hmm. he's still holding an imaginary gun and pointing it at things. Yes, yeah. And and the way that we're having the gun debate now and talking about how our society has a certain obsession with guns, and this movie shows that. I mean, it shows Travis's obsession with guns. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of a fetish. Yeah. For him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's this this love of power or this this thirst for power 
uh, or so control. I think control or, is, yeah, is control. more the word because it, it, he he's so out of control. Um, not not out of control, but but he, he you know he, he he has no control over anything, and he just looks out and all he sees is chaos. Yeah. And this is like I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back. Mm-hmm. And and he's and he's going out to rescue women who do not want to be rescued. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the the whether or not it is appropriate to rescue a twelve year old for prost- from prostitution, yeah. I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It is. She doesn't want to be rescued. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some evidence that Kaitel's character, while he's still having sex with a 12-year-old, and that's not okay, mm-hmm. and he's still a pimp, and that's not okay, he's not beating her up. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are... So that, that character, you know, you can't say, well, he's an okay guy. No. No, he's, no, pimping, he's not. He's he pimping not. children absolutely reprehensible son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't fit the narrative that Travis has in his head of being abusive uh, in in a physical way. Yeah. Not in a physical way, but that's absolutely brainwashing. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. The, and, and, there's, and... there's no there's <laughs> no way you can excuse that character at all. No. Right. But at right. the same time, you go, you can go, well... Travis is res- wa- rescuing her because he feels she wants to be rescued, and that's not the case. Right. Um, right. He and, and, to- he's, and he's, you know, likewise reading things into Sybil Shepherd's character, which aren't there. You know, she has this perfectly happy life, and she kind she has this. I wouldn't really- say perfectly well, happy, but, well, but I you know what you're saying. <laughs> well, yeah, she, she's fine. You know, she's content. Yeah, she's content. You know, and she has Albert Brooks there. You know, he's a funny guy. But yeah, <laughs> I like Albert Finding Brooks. Nemo. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, uh, he he may have uh, pulled one in the one of the world's great stand-up gags any uh, ever. But anyway. Yeah. Um, did you know his real name's Albert Einstein? He changed his last name because of obvious reasons. But <laughs> wow. I did not know that. That's kind of awesome. But, but yeah, you know, she's 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 doing fine. But he he reads all the stuff into her just so he kind of creates this narrative around her that she does doesn't have mm-hmm. in real life. Right when so he's she, going to kill yeah. kill the senator, you kind of feel like he thinks he's doing it for her yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, just, just like John Hinckley. Well, I mean, the very first the very first time he meets her, he's already putting this narrative together where this other guy, I don't even know him, but there's no energy between you two and I felt this energy between us. It's already from the beginning it's going, I know, yeah. you know yeah. all of this and I've got this picture in my head of what th- what is. Which is yeah. creepy. Yeah. Super, Super creepy. creepy. So we're almost getting to final thought time, mm-hmm. Melissa. Mm-hmm. So well, uh, I, one yeah, other thing yeah, I yeah, want to throw in there. Uh, I didn't yeah. know Peter Boyle was in this movie. Peter yeah, Boyle's yeah. great. <laughs> and I mean, he's kind of not an important character by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination, but I didn't know he was there. But mm-hmm. in, in some ways, oh, I, that scene where... The uh, super awkward one where nothing... <laughs> not yeah. super awkward yeah. one where, where <laughs> Travis is reaching out and basically he's desperately saying, trying to. I'm having some really dark thoughts and I don't know if this is appropriate mm-hmm. and, but he can't and, and he reaches out to Boyle as this sort of this sort of authority figure and Boyle just doesn't do anything useful mm-hmm. in that situation nothing nothing you know but it's another it's I can't another fault example. him because I did I wouldn't know what the hell to do right there well, either, but, but he, did, he didn't even acknowledge the dark thoughts thing yeah. it's like yeah. he, he just is like a completely useless uh 
point, but it, I mean, it's another example of Travis like reaching out and trying to find the mm-hmm. connection and failing mm-hmm. at every absolutely point. Yeah. Absolutely, but yeah. part of that failure is is on the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, Melissa, what is your it. final thought? Uh, you got to toss out a final thought for Taxi Driver. Um, I've got I've got a few just real fast. Okay, ones. fast I'll, I'll final Okay, thoughts. okay. So uh, first of all, the the final scene is all pale and desaturated because that's what it, t- it took to pull the film away from an X rating. So <laughs> so that's why everything is super desaturated in the big violent shootout oh, at the end. Okay. So that's why that happened. Um, many of the characters in the script were supposed to be black, like the pimp character was supposed to be black, I believe the gun uh, Mm -hmm. dealer was supposed to be black. Uh, Scorsese decided to change them all to white actors because he felt that it was kind of racist to do that, and to sidestep the racism, he just put white actors in those roles, because it's those kind of reprehensible characters that were being... Was it just me, or was he always staring at black people? Yeah, he was. It was not just, and that oh, way, that okay. would, that's the subtext that there's. That's what I thought. I was just making yeah, sure that yeah, I was. Yeah, he's not happy. Because there's something else either. going on there. Yeah, there is so many. Yeah. Anyway, he's he's a creepy guy. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, let's see. the The other thing I was going to call out is that um, uh, Jodie Foster thankfully did have a body double for some of the skeezier shots. Uh, her body double was her 19 year old sister. Which is kind of creepy in its own way. Yeah. But uh, the last thing I was going to call out was uh, the Bernard Herrmann score, which is oh, yeah. kind of this magnificent overwrite holdover. That, that saxophone. and Very and, noir. Yeah, very 1940s-ish noir and, and very Hitchcockian and just, just overripe. And the... Uh, 1970s was in love with the 1940s at this time, so so that's kind of part of where it came from. But and uh, Bernard Herrmann came out of the Hitchcock camp, so it has this wonderful Hitchcockian sort of feel. But and this is Bernard yeah. Herrmann's final film. Final what? film. He he went through the last recording session for this movie and I, oh, like that day, just a few hours later, he passed away. And it should be noted his first film was, was Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane in 1941. The other thing to know for me that stood out about the, the music was in that scene with uh, Harvey Keitel and Jodie Foster when he mm-hmm. puts the record on, it's that song. Yes. yes. Which suddenly makes all of the music throughout suddenly go, ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know, now it's all centered on that scene. Yeah. All of the music, and it's ugh. Yeah. You know, yeah. could have used any other song, but they used that song, and that brought home that yeah. mm-hmm. music yeah. there. Yeah, the uh, the saxophonist. This, this is the true final thought. The saxophone player, the the guy who was most did most of the saxophone solos, is Tom Scott of the L.A. Express. He was uh, the saxophone player for the Blues Brothers. He mm. did. He is the son of the guy who wrote the Twilight Zone theme, huh. and uh, uh, he played with Pink Floyd for a short while in the 1980s. There you go. That's Very what cool. I know off the top of my head about Tom Scott. Well done. Okay, Salsa, final thoughts about Taxi Driver. Oh, I thought I was giving my final thoughts already. No, it's now. Now. My final thought on the movie is I, I, I understand why this is such a cultural touchstone. Um, I, I don't know if I liked it. I, I, really, I, I feel like I have to process it for a little bit because right now part of me is saying, eh, and the other part of me is going, whoa. So I just, I, 
I don't know. Well, you don't have to like it. I mean, you can also. I'm not, li- you I'm can, not saying I have also... to, but I don't know if I do or not. I just... Well, I mean, it's the it's not the sort of movie you enjoy, and then it doesn't have the intent Absolutely. of being enjoyed. Sure. So it's, but it's. I'm yeah, just going to call a uh, final thought. My final thought is to call attention to the fact that the famous scene, the mirror scene, uh, mirrors play an important role in this entire film, uh, and and I. And I I find that it's it's really interesting that the the scene everybody remembers is that scene where he's in the, he's looking in the mirror. But like the the last shots we see of Sybil Shepherd uh-huh. really are seen in a rearview mirror mm-hmm. in in the car. Mm-hmm. There are shots of him driving down the street and they, and they focus on the mirrors that are on the taxi. So the the that that iconic scene is actually part of the entire the theme of the film mm-hmm. in that reflections become something that is impersonal that separates uh travis from everyone else mm-hmm. uh, and, and because entire... he sees everybody through a rearview mirror right. yes and that that entire scene was ad-libbed Cause. that that scene in the script says travis looks in a mirror that's all it says. And then the the you talking to me one. You talking to me. It was all De Niro. Oh, yeah, yeah, does his thing. Yep. So uh, the other part of my final thought: the next movie we have, we are not following an actor down a rabbit hole this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are just getting to a movie that really we've needed to get to for a long time. Uh, but <laughs> the problem, because you love it. The of that oh, and, yeah. and it, because it's a great movie. But also yeah. the problem was finding somebody who hasn't seen it. So we have worked that out. Yes. And uh, the next movie we will be watching will be The Shawshank Redemption. So I hope you join us for that. Salsa, thank you so much for uh, joining us here. Thank you for And uh, we should say uh, you have a couple of podcasts that we should like yes. to mention. I do. You should go to the Apropos of Nothing podcast, aonpodcast.com. It's me and a couple other people talking about nonsense and hopefully you're entertained uh the other podcast is the terms of disagreement podcast uh you can find us on facebook uh at facebook slash terms of disagreement that is an improv debate show where we give the people the topic of the debate right before we hit go so (laughs) it's it's uh it's a lot of fun Awesome. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, we hope that you, well, no matter what Salsa thinks, we hope you liked Taxi Driver. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you uh, next time when we watch The Shawshank Redemption. Yay! It'll be happier. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.